Well, we are in this eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And you know what they say about the eighth chapter of the book of Romans is it's the most important chapter in the whole Bible. At least that's what I read online. That's true, right? So, uh, but it is important and it is powerful. And I pray that it'll be a blessing for you today as we dive in. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray today you would open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to see how through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is immeasurably more possible in our lives that you can do things that we can't even think or imagine. Father, bless our time in the Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin in this chapter, this eighth chapter, and, uh, you know, as we do, the question that's in front of us that Paul will try to answer is, why is the Christian life so hard? Have you ever noticed this, that it's hard? That, you know, our mission statement is to do what? To be more like who? Jesus. And that's like a really hard thing to do. Have you ever felt that tension, that struggle? Have you ever felt like, well, I'll never make it. I'm never going to be like Jesus. And it's a challenge. And I've run across so many Christians who, who start down a path, and then they get discouraged, and they give up. Well, today, Paul wants us to understand why this is so hard and what we can do about it, what he's done about it, what God has done about it. And so let's dive in. And to do this, I'm going to take you back to last week, to the end of chapter 7. This is Paul writing about himself. He says, wretched man that I am. Now, wait a minute. Hasn't Paul just spent six chapters telling us that he's righteous? And now he says he's wretched? What the heck's going on here? Is he confused? And then he asked the question, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? It seems like a question he should have known how to answer. I don't know, just saying. Like he's been teaching us. Why would he ask that question? Why is this so hard for him to say this and, and, and live the, living out the Christian life so difficult? He just declared that he's righteous through Christ. Well, to really understand why he said this, we really need to go back to those two definitions that we've been working with. The first one is justification. Certainly Paul knew that he's justified. He's been declared righteous. He's been made just as if he had never sinned. He's, he's experienced that. And he knows it. He's, there's no doubt in his mind when he said, wretched man that I am, that he has this gift at work in his life. So what's Paul's deal? Like I said, is he just confused or is it a bad day or what's going on? Well, if you look at the definition, the other definition we've been working with, it's sanctification. And this is where Paul begins to struggle. This is where we struggle. Have you ever noticed that the Christian life is not a straight line to become more like Jesus, that some days are better than others in your life? Do you guys want to be more like Jesus? If you do, say amen. Amen. Good. Yeah, so we, we, we struggle, don't we? It's, we wrestle with it. And the sanctification is, if you look at it, you see why. It says the spiritual growth that follows justification. We're justified and then we begin to grow more like Jesus. But God's grace, by God's grace, a Christian cooperates in this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we cooperate with the Spirit in this act of sanctification. That's why it's so hard because sometimes I just say no to the Holy Spirit. Anybody with me? Yeah. I just say, uh-uh, I'm not going to go there. I mean, I read the Word, right? And I, and I think, oh, I should do this. And I go, no, nah, I don't think so. And so we have this natural resistance, 
right? We don't always want to be more like Jesus. This is the human existence, and this is what Paul's feeling and struggling with, and this is what we have to face today. If we truly want to be people who are becoming more like Jesus, we need to know what we're up against. We need to understand what is really going on. And so Paul continues, and he writes this, uh, this rest of this uh, letter to us to help us understand, but he is concerned himself about this sanctification because he is convinced of his justification. Justification. As you came in today, you received this little notes card. There's a place for you to fill that in, to write it in. I want you to understand the relationship between those two things. You see, once we really, truly understand justification, if that's real to us, if that's something that's important to us, that we, we comprehend the realities of what was done on the cross, then all of a sudden, sin becomes an issue in our life. And I know it does, but then we have to say, okay, what can be done about the sin in our lives? And this is what Paul wants to help us understand. Go back to the seventh, ver or seventh chapter to the 25th verse, and he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he answers this question, that's who's going to deliver him. And of course, the answer is Jesus. And of course, that's correct. But then he says this, and this is an indication, this is a picture of us as well. He says, look, in my mind, I'm, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. This is the dilemma that we all face. Now, are there two laws here? Is, is, is there like a different law that Paul is calling out? Well, there's only one law. It's God's law. It's all of the scripture that tells us how that we should live. It's all of scripture that tells us this is what it means to be more like Jesus. But there is a different way for you to encounter that law. One way is through the Spirit, and, and that would be the law of God. And he agrees in his mind that, yes, indeed, that's what I want to do. Like, I have it in my mind. I really want to do this. I have good intentions. But I have this other thing, my flesh, my body, that says no. And it's a challenge for us because when we face God's instructions and, and we see it in the wrong way, those instructions, it can actually be harmful to our spiritual life. It, it can actually, here's what it does. So if God's law says do something and we come to it and we think we're really good at it, we get prideful. If God's law says something and we can't do it, we begin to feel guilty. And, and, and you know, so we're condemned. And, and we think, well, we're not good enough. We can't be good enough. And so there's two ways to encounter God's law. And we want to make sure this morning we understand the right way, now that we are in Christ, as we'll talk about, the right way to encounter God's law so that it can do its work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what, here's what we need to understand, that there's one law, but we encounter it in two ways. One way, one view of the law sees opportunity. It sees the law as a friend, as, as something that's protective, something that we should embrace. And the other sees opposition. In other words, it creates in us even a capacity to sin. So, you know, have you ever noticed? I mean, the speed limit's 55. How fast do you drive? Okay, you don't have to answer that, all right? 
You see, whenever the law gets stated, if we're not approaching it in the correct way, it actually raises the desire for us to sin. It creates that, I got to break the law. So how are we going to sort all this out? Well, let's jump into chapter 8. Paul begins this way. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do we do with the word therefore when we see it in Scripture? Okay, remember a few weeks ago, chapter 5, we ask what it's there for. And it's here simply to refer us back to everything that God has done to save us. And he says, now, because it hasn't always been. Before Christ, it wasn't this way. But now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the words, no condemnation, this is a legal term. And, and it's, it's God saying, look, there is no case against you for your sin. Think about that. You've been declared righteous. There is no case. He looks at you. There's no case. I, I hold nothing against you because of your sin. You are loved because of Christ. You are loved and seen as a perfect person. Now, I know we're not, as we'll see, but that's the way God sees you. There's no condemnation because this only works for people who are in Christ Jesus. So if it's in Christ Jesus, it's possible to be out of Christ Jesus, isn't it? It's possible not to believe that this is true, that who Jesus is is true, and it's true for you. Some people don't accept that. And he says, look, it, there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, again, to sort of get this idea of the two laws or the two views of the law, he says, look, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, or by Christ Jesus would be another way to say that, because we have this gift at work in our life, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. Because whenever we encounter the law, the Ten Commandments, and every other instruction in Scripture, if we don't have Christ, it measures us, and we always fall short of it, right? That's what we learned in Romans chapter 3. And if we fall short, then it scares us because we're guilty and we're thinking we're going to be punished for it. And, and Paul says, no. You now, you now follow the law of the spirit of life because you can look at those laws and say, yes, I know I've fallen short, but I have in Christ a gift at work in my life and in my heart. And so when we look at the law two ways, if you do it with Christ, without Christ, it condemns you. This is what happens, right? It measures us. If you put your life against the law, it's perfect. It's the character of God. It's everything God is. It's the perfect representation of God. And if you put your life against it, of my life, we're going to fall short. But if we can approach it in the spirit of life, we can say, hey, that's what God wants for us because he wants us to become more like Jesus. So how does that work? How can we have that happen? How can we keep our eyes focused in the right direction when it comes to encountering everything God wants us to do in our lives and that it doesn't crush us and condemn us? Well, let's just look at the math for a second. If we as people are justified, which is what we've said we are, we have Christ at work in our life, there's no legal case against us, no condemnation, because we're in Christ, what will happen? What does that add up to? It, it adds up to someone who says, look, sin is a, is a big deal. Sin is something I want to I be sensitive to. I want to be sanctified. I want to take steps in sanctification. I want to be more like Jesus. 
And, and to do that, I might take the approach of going to the law and reading all the things, and in my own, uh, my own abilities and my own discipline, I might try to live all those out. If you've ever started an exercise program in January, you know how hard it is to maintain anything in your own flesh, right? Or a diet. It's really hard. And so what he's saying is, look, instead of that, let's do this. Let's, have the, let's follow, let's focus on the law of the spirit of life, which says, not only will I point you in the right direction, I will empower you to get there. I'll give you a special power to live in you, to give you the capacity to move in that direction. And all the while you're doing it, you'll never get perfect, you'll never be perfect, but that spirit is going to give you the strength to take a step in the right direction each and every day. And you never have to be concerned about being condemned because God loves you, because you're righteous. And so we're going to compare that to the law of sin and death, which is the other way of approaching these requirements in Scripture, these this guidelines, this, this encouragement we have to live more like Jesus. And there's some words that we'll see in each of these categories. And I love the words under this view that we're supposed to have, life and peace, spirit dwells in you, belong to Christ, Christ is in you, life through his spirit. And opposing that, or on the other side, are words like death, hostile to God, does not, do not and cannot submit to God's law, that would be us, cannot please God. We might have the best of intentions by in our flesh approaching all these things God wants us to do, but if we don't have God's spirit, we're always going to fall short. This is the message of Scripture. And all of us, every one of us, have areas of our lives where we know we want to grow. We, we know that we want to be more like Jesus, whether it's our, with our kids, our spouses, whether it's uh, with maybe a, an addiction that we're hiding that we want to try to overcome, whether it's a daily Bible study or, or following God's plan for our finances, we know what we're supposed to do. We've heard it. We've read it in God's word. Whether it's being a leader to make disciples, being a discipler, you know, be a part of our leadership structure and just really help other people. Whether it's being a part of a worship service regularly, like more than once a month, and a Bible study, like a small group, or serving in whatever capacity. We all know these things, but then we say, oh, how do we actually pull it off? How do we change our behavior? And the first attempt is always to go to the law and say, okay, I'm going to gut this out in my own self-discipline and do this. And it won't work. It won't bring lasting change because it doesn't change you from the inside out. It tries to change you from the outside in. And the law doesn't work that way. Let's see how this plays out in Romans 8. God says this, or Paul says this, he writes of God, he says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. See it? The law is never going to make us perfect. That's what Hebrews says. It can't. That's what Romans says. The law in itself has no power because of the weakness in our flesh. We need something to overcome the weakness in our flesh. And he says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now, I want to just stop there. God sent his son in the likeness of flesh. For sin. Not as a sinful person, but in the likeness of flesh, a perfect person, a righteous person. He who had no sin, he came for our sin. And he took all of that sin on himself. Amazing gift. And he did that 
And then God condemned the sin in his flesh, in Jesus' flesh, for you and for me, once and for all, it's been finished. And so we know that gift is ours. And he, he did this so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that we could receive that gift of righteousness, that we would be seen as righteous. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we walk now, not according we walk, we have a plan, you have a map, you have a guideline for your life. God has a plan and purpose for your life and you walk in it, but you don't walk according to the flesh in it because that won't work. It will fail. If we try to be Christians on our own power, we'll fail. It's not just hard, it's impossible. But he says, look, but we walk according to the Spirit. And so let's look a little bit deeper at how Paul articulates this work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. So he says this. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Okay, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so the issue is your mind. The battle is between your ears. Okay, this is what we have to think about. This is the way we, we just visualize this for a moment because the battle is in your mind. Corinthians says, take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. And so when we think about doing something for God, do, do we look at, okay, I'm going to go over here and I'm going I'm to master this and in my own power and strength. If we try that, it's going to fail. Or do we look at our lives and say, oh, I've, I've already failed and I'm condemned? Then we certainly aren't going to be walking in the Spirit because we're going to feel discouraged. Either way, we've got to get our minds to turn the other direction and focus on what God has already done. His Spirit lives in us. And He has power to help you change from the inside out. As Paul continues in this discussion, he says, look, he said, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, Right? I want you to think about that. It's death. If, if we depend on our own flesh, our own works, it will never save us. It'll never make us perfect. It'll never make us righteous. But it also can actually kill our faith if we're already in faith. If we somehow slip and go backwards, as we'll see, it can kill our faith. So we need to be very careful about how we deal with this. But he says, to, but to set the mind on the spirit of life, it, on the spirit is life and peace. Now, life and peace is what I want in my life. How about you? I want life and peace. And, and sometimes it don't, doesn't feel like I have life and peace in my life. And, and often I, when I feel that way, I have to look and say, okay, what has this spirit already done? Am I trusting him? Trusting him? Am I following him? Am I relying on him? This is the promise. And, and Paul goes ahead and he says, look, the, the mindset on flesh is death, and it even articulates the different things that will happen. It's hostile to God. It does not just submit to God's law. It cannot please God. So if we're focused on what we're going to do for God on our own, you know, God, anoint my plans, instead of fo focusing on, hey, Spirit, let's, you show me where I need to, to really work on my life. Or if I'm over here and saying, I'm too condemned, I'm not worthy, I can't do anything for God. Instead, over here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See the difference? 
We have to be careful about that because if we're over here, we're never going to be, we're never going to experience the fullness of life now that God wants for us. And that's the goal, that we would want to be more like Jesus. And, and so you look at it, it's a matter of, is our mind on the flesh or is our mind on the spirit? Years ago, there was a commercial on TV for public service announcements. This is your mind on drugs, right? Anybody remember that? A few of you are old enough for that. And, and, and Paul is saying, look, this is your mind on the spirit. This is what you need to be. This is the direction you need to be focused. Now, as Paul writes this, this uh, group in Rome, he's never met them before. He's not been to Rome yet. And he gives them the benefit of the doubt. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, now his, it, but then he gives you a conditional thing. And this is kind of an important statement. The reason it's important is it's possible not to have what he's talking about. Because he uses the word if. It's conditional. If. He says, you're not uh, in the flesh, but in the spirit. He says, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Yes, you're in the spirit. But he says, if, in fact, the spirit of God does what? Dwells in you. That he's, he's in you. Now, okay, so here's a good question. How do you know the spirit dwells in you? Anybody ever asked that? It's really a tough question, isn't it? Well, you know it because it was a promise at your baptism, right? That the Spirit would come and live inside of you. But as you grow older, do you still feel that? Do you still experience that? Well, it depends on how much you're saying yes or no to the Spirit. You can reject Him completely. It's possible to say no to the Spirit and just reject all His promises, all His guidance, all His power. And you might not understand that God is living inside of you through the Spirit. We're going to look at some ways where we can, we can deal with that problem of drift, as we'll call it. But Paul says, look, anyone who does not have the Spirit is not, does not belong to me. And so it's important that we deal with the question. As he goes on, he says, but if Christ is in you, although the body of, is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. There again is that condition, but if. Remember, he's given them the benefit of the doubt, but he says, but if Christ is in you. And what happens is that we are made alive. As alive as a human being can be is that when our minds are focused on what God has already done in us, because what God sees in us, what he placed in us, is a Holy Spirit who is perfect. And we have that resource to rely on and empower our lives. We can't look at our own righteousness, but Christ lives in us and he is righteous. And that gives us power to overcome sin and it's life. Now, here's the challenge for us. Whose righteousness is this? I've already answered the question. It's not our righteousness. Remember that. It's, it's Jesus' righteousness that's there because the spirit lives in you. He goes on and he says that the Spirit again, he says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raises the condition, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Is it clear that if we are comprehending the reality of the Spirit living in us, we have life, the best life humanly possible because we now have power to live it in the way that glorifies and honors God. Now, once again, let me caution something right here. 
because we'll never do this perfectly. That is not the point. We've already been declared righteous. But because we've been declared righteous is not an excuse just to never pay attention to this. We have to be concerned about sin in our lives. It's a challenge. We want in our mortal bodies to be all that God can do with what we are and who we are, but we'll only do it through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, Paul gets very direct here about how this happens. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. We're not supposed to cater to this side. We're not supposed to just say, oh, you know, I'm saved. I can go do anything I want. I'm going to live however. He says this. He says, look, for if you live according to the flesh, you will what? You'll die. We're all going to die, but this is a spiritual death and separation from God. Because if you stay over here in this, in this realm of the flesh all the time, you begin to ignore God, and I'll show you that in just a minute. But look at this. He says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now you see the cooperation. You and the Spirit working together to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's sanctification. It's never perfect, but it's ongoing process so that you can experience the life that God has for you, his plan and purpose for your life here on this earth. There's a 16th century pastor who said it this way. He said, look, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sober, sharp warning for all of us. There are consequences to focusing our life purely on this side of the flesh instead of over here on the spirit. And, and here's what Hebrews says, and it's so true for me, maybe for you too. We must, be care, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Anybody drifting away right now? See, it's a constant battle in our lives that we, we drift away from God. We try to draw closer, we drift away to God because we, we're not recognizing the power that's in us, the spirit to draw us closer. And so the goal is simply this, that we would, we would focus on this, that we would do what we can, working with the Spirit, that we put to death, that we would literally kill sin. In a minute, I'm going to give you some, some ideas about that. It's not an easy, it's a sermon in itself or a series in itself, but there are some things that I want you to be aware of as you leave today, ways that you can work on killing sin in your life. Before we get there, though, Paul changes this theme a little bit, and he starts talking about the idea of identity. He says, for all of you who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We can say sons and daughters of God. So, God, so Paul has given us this truth, and he's shown there's a problem of sin and a solution to that problem of sin, and now he's saying you have a new identity, and, and you don't have to go back to being afraid of God. You're going to fail time and time again, but you don't have to be afraid because you are righteous that's what the Spirit tells you. You are righteous. You are free to fail. That's good news, right? Now, there can be consequences for that, but you're free to fail. I'm going to still love you the way you are. And he says, look, um, you've received the spirit of adoptions as son. Adoption. You've been adopted. You're an adopted love child of God. In Roman culture, adoption was an action taken by parents that were, is irreversible. 
A natural child could be, uh, you, could, you could get rid of a natural child for a whole bunch of different reasons. But if you adopted, if you made a decision to adopt a child, that, that, was, that child is yours for life. And so, and so we have that adoption at work in our lives. And now we can crawl up on the father's lap and say, hey, I've got a challenge in my life. I've got a problem in my life. I struggle in this area. I can approach it in grace. And I can say, I need the Spirit's power to take over, to give me the strength to fix it, to make it better, so I can be more like Jesus. This is sanctification. This is what Paul is trying to help us to see, that we have that kind of relationship with the Father. And he continues here, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness in our spirit that we are children of God. We are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance in heaven. We're going to be one day with him, glorified with him. We're going to be more like Christ than we could ever imagine. We receive a glorified, perfect existence forever as a part of the promises of Scripture. Now, there's a word up there that I'm going to let Pastor Tony unpack next week. It's the word suffer because it's a part of the Christian existence. There is suffering. But for now, I want you to focus in on that that incredible power that you have living inside of you, that Holy Spirit. And just briefly mention with you uh, some ways that you might approach sin in your life. And uh, there's whole books and sermon series on this, but just to condense it very quickly, the first thing is confess it. Confess it. Kill it through confession. And what you do there is you're simply saying, look, I'm already righteous, but I need you. And uh, 1 John uh, 1.9 says, um, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and, and just, and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You need to tell God you have a problem and admit that you're powerless to overcome it, and that you need to remain in Christ, abide in him. That's what this verse in John 15.4, you've got those verses on your sermon notes card. And so you can, you can abide in him. You'll find strength there. You read the word, rely on the word. The Spirit speaks through the Word, folks. He, he wants to convict and, and correct and empower, but He'll do it as you read His Word. Make sure that's part of your daily habits. And, you know, the idea that the Word is a sword, it's the only offensive weapon that's listed in Ephesians. The only thing you attack problems with, evil with, is the Word. And then, basically, reach out for help. And I love this verse from Proverbs 12.1, it says this. It says, uh, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I don't want to be stupid. You want to be stupid? No, I don't think so. Let's not be stupid. Let's have people help us with these things. Reach out to somebody to be discipled. And then finally, the idea that, well, we can look towards our future glory. We can remember our future glory. We've already talked a little bit about that. There's a verse to help you understand that someday all this goes away anyway. So why not make the most of it for Jesus right now? We've been given a gift, amazing, incredible gift of the Holy Spirit in us, to live in us, to help us live the Christian life. Don't try to live it without that spirit at work. Recognize who he is and what he is doing in you. A couple, three weeks ago, I was out in the yard and we were doing some yard work, you know, and 
we have this fence, and, and there's a gate, and there's a small section of fence right up against the house, and this wind comes through, and it slams that gate shut. And I was kind of standing there looking at it, and I heard this cracking noise, and I'm going, what the heck's going on? And that little piece of fence just kind of goes and falls over. I'm going, oh, man, that's like, what? Really? And I walk up, and I look, and here's this broken piece of stump stuck, stuck in concrete, and I said, oh, what a wretched fence you are. I didn't say that, but I thought maybe it would work here, right? Rotten, wretched stump. And so I pounded on it and pried on it and dug on it and tried to dig it out myself, and I could not do it. I didn't have enough power. You know what I did? I went to Menards and rented a jackhammer. <laughs> and I got that fence post out of there, and I got it replaced, but I could not do it on my own power. It's the same for sin in our lives. We cannot do this on our own power. But it's so important that we recognize we have more power than you could ever imagine living inside of us now. I pray that that power would be real to you today and that you would, uh, you would be able to address any issues in your life, any rotten stumps that need to be removed.